Well, it is definitely good to be with you again today, and this is actually my third visit with you this year, which is a blessing, and I'm really excited to be able to share with you once again, and I was talking to Shane this week, and I said, given the fact that I've been speaking here so often, and that I want to continue to be available for Shane when he needs me, I've decided that today I'm going to start a series with you, which probably over the next, you know, several years we will be going through together, and that is a series on Psalm 119. So if you have your Bibles with you, you could turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 has 22 sections. Each section uh, corresponds with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and it is an acrostic. If you've ever heard the term acrostic, um, then you will know that an acrostic is uh, usually used to spell out a word, often in sermon outlines, to make the points of the sermon be crystallized, hopefully, in your memory and have it last a little longer than when uh, you go out the church door. Now, I, I say that in just because we all are busy. We all have things that we forget, but I think it is kind of neat how God will bring things to our mind when we need them. And so it is my hope that as you listen to this sermon, that the things that God has for you will stick with you, and I, I trust the same for myself. The name of today's sermon um, is The Power of the Word, Part 1, Steps to Walking with Jesus. Now, if I were to give an overall theme of the entire psalm of Psalm 119, it would be the Word of God. Every section of this psalm deals in some measure with the Word of God. And so that is the focus of our study um, in this series as we begin, is to gain a greater appreciation for the Word of God. And of course, as we speak of the Word of God, hopefully it gives us a greater appreciation for the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. So today we're going to talk about three steps to walk with Jesus from this first section of Psalm 119. So let's open in a word of prayer and ask God to be with us and to have free reign here today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to go into your word and to search its depths. And we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We ask for your mercies this morning, that you would be with us in a powerful way, and that you would be honored and glorified in everything said and done this morning, and then that you would go with us throughout the coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we look at this section, um, we're going to start out with the first three verses. The first three verses of Psalm 119 read as follows. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and they that seek him with the whole heart. They also do iniquity. They walk in his ways. So, the psalmist is saying, starting out as we begin this journey, he says, if you want to be blessed in this life, then you need to be undefiled. And the, the reality is that each one of us, apart from God, is defiled. We have no capacity in ourselves 
to live a godly life. The Bible says that no one, Romans chapter 1, seeks after God. No, not one. We have this uh, overwhelming worldview in our world today, and I think it sometimes even creeps in to Christianity that people are basically good. But the reality is, Jeremiah 17, 9 spells it out, out to us very clear. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So what is the answer to that? Well, the psalmist says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. What did the psalmist say in Psalm chapter 1? Um, that he delighted in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That is the key to the successful Christian life, is to have your delight in the law of the Lord. And then in verse 2 it says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. If you have something that you are really invested in and you really want to do well at it, you seek to do it with your whole heart. You seek to eliminate distractions and you want to be the best. Usually when we are going into a new relationship, we want to be the best we can be. When we are going into a new job, we want to be the best we can be. And the psalmist is saying here that we need to keep his testimonies and seek him with our whole heart. What did Jesus say? He said, if you seek me, you will find me. Definitive article. He doesn't say may. You notice the Bible never says maybe. It always speaks in the definitive article. Then we come to verse 3. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. Okay, so what does this mean? It can be discouraging to us when we think about the fact that we do do iniquity. Paul said, Paul said in Romans chapter 7, that thing I would not do, that I do, and the thing that I would do, that I do not. Oh, who shall save me from this body of death? And then he says, praise be to God through Jesus Christ. That the saving grace of Jesus is what allows us to do the things that we need to do. And so we need to keep in mind that in order to serve and honor the Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that Jesus imputes to us His righteousness and takes our sins when we trust Him. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So when it's talking about doing no iniquity, it's not talking about sinless perfection. We know that David, who many believe, wrote this psalm, did iniquity. He actually fell into a lot of the same sins that King Saul did. But the key difference between David and Saul was that David said to Samuel, let's go worship the Lord your God together. He said, worship the Lord God with me so that the people will not turn away from me. And David said to God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. David's relationship with God was a personal one. Saul's was for political expediency. And that is the difference between those two men. They were both sinners, but one fell on the grace and mercy of God and one did not. So I want to encourage you today, this is not saying that there's sinless perfection out there. But what it is saying is that as you mature in your Christian life, you will sin less than you did the year before and the year before that. Because the goal of the Christian life, as is stated in Romans, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the goal of us as believers in the Lord. Now I'd like to take an opportunity to look at some cross-references. And if you were not with us uh, the last couple of times, 
the way that I like to do these is if you have your Bibles at the ready, if you can look these up for me, and if someone gets to one of these references, if you could read them, stand and read them loudly for us, that will allow me not to have to turn as many pages in my Bible, and will, Lord willing, keep you awake as well. So, the first one is Luke 11.28. Luke 11.28. If someone could find that and read that for us, I would really appreciate it. But he said, more than that, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So there's a lot of things that people think about when they think about living a a worthy and religious life. They think about giving money to their church. They think about going to church on a day on a weekly basis, or maybe going to church every time the doors are open. They think about doing good works. All these things are good. But what Jesus is saying here is if you hear my word and you keep it, that's what I want. If you hear my word and you do it, that's what I want. James says, be ye not just hearers of the word, but be ye doers of the word. There's a lot of people who can hear the word of God and it means nothing to them. But it needs to mean something to us as believers in the Lord Jesus. Titus 2, 11 and 12. Titus 2, 11 and 12. If you have your Bibles, um, if someone gets there before I do, um, go ahead and, and read that for us. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. What Paul is doing for Titus in this passage is he's talking to Titus about teaching the people in, on Crete how to live a godly life. And in the midst of this chapter, of chapter 2, he talks about, in chapter 1, he talks about church leadership. And then he'll talk about home leadership. And then he, he wraps it up with some more thoughts about how to live a Christian life. But that's the whole tenor of the book of Titus. And so what he's saying here is these are this is how to live a sober and righteous life through the grace of God. Everyone has the opportunity to embrace the grace of God. And in Romans chapter 1, it tells us that nature itself testifies of God, so that no man is without excuse. So we need to keep that in mind. I found this poem that I want to share with you. It says, I will follow. I will follow thee, my Savior, whithersoever my lot may be. Where thou goest, I will follow. Yes, my Lord, I'll follow thee. Though the road be rough and thorny, trackless as the foaming sea, thou hast trod this way before me, and I'll gladly follow thee. Though I meet with tribulation, sorely tempted, though I be, I remember thou wast tempted, and rejoice to follow thee. Remember that Jesus is a high priest that is familiar with our afflictions. There's nothing about the human experience that Jesus does not know about. And he sympathizes with us in those things. So our first point was that we are to seek him with our whole heart. Our second point is keep his precepts. Psalm 119, 4 to 6. Psalm 119, 4 to 6 reads, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect 
unto all thy commandments. God gave the children of Israel laws. He laid them out from Exodus to Deuteronomy. That's what it's about, laying out the law for the children of Israel. And that's why parents give rules to children. That's why bosses give rules to employees. All of these structures are for our benefit and for our safety. And we live right now in a culture that is full of chaos. And largely, that is because they have denied the fact of moral absolutes. When you have no moral anchor and everything goes, chaos ensues. Just look at the book of Judges. The book of Judges over and over and over and over and over again tells us there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in their own eyes. Remember a children's book um, that my mom used to read to me in it. It was called, This is What Would Happen If Everybody Did. And it talked about leaving your socks on the floor. This is what would happen if everybody did. And it just showed this picture with socks everywhere. Or leaving your dirty dishes in the sink. This is what would happen if everybody did. And dirty dishes were everywhere. Or littering on the street. This is what would happen if everybody did. And so on and so forth. So this idea that the little things that we do that are careless or irresponsible, if everybody did them, we would have chaos. And that's kind of what we're dealing with today. Because we have this idea that you live your truth and I live my truth. But if I walk up to you and I take your cell phone from you and I stick it in my pocket and I walk away, are you going to let me just walk away? No, because you're going to say that I stole your cell phone, and you would be right. But the problem is, if I come back to you and I, I say that my truth tells me that it's my cell phone, because I found it, and I found it in your hand, but I found it, and I possess it, so it's mine, that doesn't really work very well, does it? There are definite truths about life. And so the, the truths that God gives us are guidelines for our protection. Psalmist said in Psalm 23, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. A rod and a staff were used to guide sheep, sometimes to punish sheep. But the purpose of the punishment was to keep them on the right path. When a sheep used to run away from a shepherd, they would often break the sheep's leg and then put the sheep on their shoulder and bring it back to the fold. And then when the sheep's leg healed, they got another chance to be out among the other sheep. And it doesn't seem like a good thing to break the leg of an animal. But God gives us suffering to refine us as well. Job said, I know that I'm suffering right now, but I will be refined, and when the refining is over, I shall come forth as gold. Because God's refining process will always complete itself through Him. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 expresses this well when it says, I am confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we see in verse 4, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. So he wants us to, to think about his law. Remember we talked about that a few minutes ago. Think about his law. Meditate on it day and night. Then verse 5, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. My way is directed by something. Everything I do is directed by something. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm an atheist, so I have no religion, I have no direction, I have no God. But I, I, 
I have shared a presentation a couple times about the myth of godlessness. And the fact of the matter is that everybody has a God. Whether it's themselves, or whether it's the devil, or whether it's anything else that they may be preoccupied with, they still have a God. God doesn't believe in atheists. And then verse 6, we see what's the result of keeping his precepts diligently and being directed by his statutes. The result is, then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. If we are following the Lord, then we can say with Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished my course, and now I'm ready to go home. You know, we don't know how long we will have on this earth. I have a friend that passed away in 2012 at the age of 32, left behind three small children at the time, and her brother um, just over the last couple of weeks he's a roofer and he fell off a roof and from what happened he very well could have died but he fell in just such a way that not only did he survive but he survived without paralysis now he still has a long way to go a lot of therapy I don't know if he'll ever get on a roof again but he survived now, do I know why he survived and why his sister did not? No, I do not. But I know that however long God gives you on this earth, if you are following his statutes, you will not be ashamed when you get to the end of your life. Psalmist said elsewhere, Thou hast shown me the path of life, at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Bible says that the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. If you want blessing and riches without sorrow, then trust the Lord Jesus. Now, does that mean material riches? No. But it means that the blessings of God with little are better than no blessings with great riches. A good... Case in point is Johnny Erickson Tata. I just recently watched her her biopic that she did in 1979. Once again, I did a, a podcast episode on it. Uh, it's up on my website, speakingforhim.com. But her story has been really instrumental in my ministry. She was one of the first voices that spoke into my life and said that even if you have a profound physical challenge, God can still use you. But just to give a little summary of her life, she was a, a graduated high school senior, summer of 1967. She dove into shallow water in the Chesapeake Bay, and she broke her neck. And just a few weeks before that, she said, Lord, I feel like I'm drifting from you. Draw me closer to you. And she broke her neck, and over the next few months, to two years even, she was really struggling. She was like, God, this isn't what I had in mind. And she even asked a friend to help her commit suicide. She's like, slip my wrists. I won't feel anything. And it will all be over. And her friend graciously said, I can't do that. It would be a sin. You're alive. You need to be here. And 12 years after that accident, in 1979, which also happens to be the year I was born, she formed Johnny and Friends, which is a ministry to the disabled, not only here in the U.S., but also around the world. And it was the providence of God that her movie, Johnny, which she starred in herself, which is available for free on YouTube, so I'd encourage you to check it out, came out four days before I was born. My parents were scared. They were newlyweds. They were young. My dad was 21. My mom was 
almost 20. And they had this baby with health problems that they knew nothing about. And it wouldn't be until a year or two later that they would find out that I had cerebral palsy and that I would never walk. But God sustained them. And I'm here today preaching to you because of their faithfulness to God. And they passed on that heritage to me, and I'm so grateful. My parents took seriously the duty of teaching us in the ways of the Lord. My father taught me to love the Word of God. And that is today a big reason why I'm a preacher. If we could continue reflecting on this idea of keeping his precepts and doing what he would have us to do by looking at um, a few cross-references, the first one being John 14.21. John 14.21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Again, we've already discussed how we don't have power in ourselves to keep his commandments. But as we trust him, we get the power through the Holy Spirit to keep his commandments. So keeping his commandments is a pretty good testimony to the fact that we really know him. There are a lot of people in our easy believism Western American culture that say, I prayed a prayer to Jesus when I was seven years old, so I'm fine. But it never affects their daily life. They go about and do whatever they want to do. They, they hang out with whoever they want to hang out with. They listen to whatever they want to listen to. They engage in any, any number of harmful activities in their life. But they just cling to the fact that they prayed that prayer. Let me just tell you, a prayer will not save you. A decision to yield to God and to take His righteousness in exchange for your sin is what will change you. And I, I heard a, a good analogy in a children's Bible hour story the other day. And because they were discussing the issue of, well, if we... Um, if we have sinned, or if we get saved, and God will forgive us of our sins whenever we ask, why don't we just keep on sinning? Because Paul says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And Paul says, certainly not. You shouldn't sin, because whatever you yield yourself to, that's who you become servants of. And they use the analogy of um, this little, this young boy found a $50 bill on the, on the ground at a store that he frequented and he gave it to the proprietor and the proprietor said, if nobody claims it in two or three weeks, then you can keep it. And nobody claimed it, so he kept the $50 bill. So it was like a gift to him and he was excited. Um, but rather than blow it all, he wanted to be very wise with the way he used it. So he used it a little at a time and was very wise with it. And the, they made the analogy that that is how we are with the grace that God has given us. We want to live a good life, not because it gives us salvation, but because we are thankful for, for what um, Jesus has done for us. There's an old gospel song called My Tribute that says, So let me, let me live my life, let it be pleasing, Lord, to you, and if I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. And that's really the way that we need to live our lives. Second cross-reference, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them 
in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So this is the Great Commission by Jesus. And we often focus on the first verse because it says, Go ye therefore and preach the gospel. But the second verse, the second part of the Great Commission, I think, gets neglected. Because Jesus said, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So our, our job is to teach the Word of God. Paul said to Timothy, Commit these things that you have learned unto faithful men so that they may be able to teach others also. We need to teach people not just to incorporate Christ into their life, but to let Christ be their life. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. And then he says, the life that I live... Now I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that is the way that we should live. And finally, for this point, Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of our sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, the point I wanted to bring out from this passage is who does the work? God does the work. It's not our work, it's his work through us. We need to yield to him. You know, when we, when we teach the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, so on, we often teach it in such a way as we need to consciously practice these fruits of the Spirit. And yes, there is an element of that, but I think the greater element is if we yield to the Spirit, these fruits will come out of us. They are the result more than the goal. And so I think what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, that God is going to equip you with everything you need. There's another verse that says God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. But we have to tap into it. If you are going to charge your cell phone, you plug in your cell phone to the end of the cord, and then you come back three hours later thinking, oh, I'm going to have a nice full or almost full battery for my cell phone. And then you pick up your cell phone and there's nothing it's even deader than it was before you plugged it in. You look down at the end of the cord where it's supposed to be plugged into the wall and it's not plugged into the wall. Why? Because that can be the greatest, fastest charger in the world. But if it's not plugged into the power source, it's not going to be in. We need to be plugged in to the power source. We can't live the Christian life on our own. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. And sometimes we get into this trap of thinking, I can do this thing without him because it's not that hard. But he says, without me, you can do nothing. Somewhere, I have read a little story of a child in a woodland camp whose father sent him with a letter to the village, pointing out a trail over which the lad had never gone before. All right, father, but I don't see how that path will ever reach the town, said the boy. Do you see the trail as far as the big tree down there, answered the man. Oh yes, I see that far. Well, when you get there by the tree, you will see the trail a little farther ahead, and so on until you get within sight of the houses of the village. There is in our pilgrimage of faith an element of sheer faith not seen. God tells us, do what I tell you to do, and I will tell you more. God didn't tell Moses about all the ten plagues when he spoke to him out of the burning bush. 
he, he didn't even tell him what to say when he left the burning bush. What did he say? He said, go, and I will tell you what to say. See, a lot of times, and I'm pointing a finger at myself as well, we want steps three, four, and five when we haven't even done steps one and two. So we need to keep that in mind. Our third point is praise Him for His righteous judgments. Praise Him for His righteous judgments. Okay, so now we go back to Psalm 119 and we read verses 7 and 8 and it says, I will praise Thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned Thy righteous judgments. I will keep Thy statutes Oh, forsake me, not utterly. So we see here that following the commandments of the Lord causes praise. Praise is a natural outflow from following the commands of the Lord. Because you can really see what God has done and you praise Him for that. A lot of times when I go to prayer to God, it's because I want or need something specific. But I think it's important, and I try to make a practice of simply praising Him for who He is before I launch into my list. Because He is good no matter what happens. If you woke up this morning and you're breathing air, then He is good. The prophet Jeremiah said this, It is of God's mercies that we are not consumed every day. See, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God could have just said, I'm going to change the plan. I'm going to get rid of Adam and Eve. I'm going to start over. Or I'm going to get rid of Adam and Eve and not let the human race continue. He could have said that. But he didn't. Instead, he told Adam and Eve, I'm sending redemption, and my Redeemer will crush the serpent's head. What a merciful and wonderful God that we serve. And he says, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. When you start learning about who God is and you allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate in your life who God is, what happens? You realize how good He is. There's a story from the Chronicles of Narnia and I may or may not have shared it here but I'm going to share it again because it's one of my favorite stories. It's from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are talking to Peter, Susan, and Lucy. Edmund has already gone and become a traitor and joined with the White Witch. And they want to get their brother back, and so Mr. Beaver says, we need to pack up and we need to go to the stone table because Aslan is on the move. And they say, who is Aslan? And he says, you don't know who Aslan is? He's the great lion. And Lucy says, well, is he safe? And, and Mr. Beaver says, well, he's a lion. He, of course he isn't safe. But then he says these wonderful words. But he is good. That's the God we serve, brothers and sisters. He's not safe. Well, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But he is good. Psalmist said, I have seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. And also, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
There is a time when Jesus is coming back for judgment. The enemy probably thinks that the Battle of Armageddon is going to be this big, huge conflict. But really what's going to happen is Jesus is going to come. He's going to set his feet back on the earth. He's going to say one word. And it's all going to be over. Because that's the power of God. But brothers and sisters, the day of grace is still here. So my encouragement to you is that you embrace that grace. The 8th verse says, I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Interesting, in the Old Testament, they didn't know about Jesus personally. And the Holy Spirit kind of came on people at specific times and specific ways. So when David said, Restore to me the joy of my sal- of, of thy salvation, he was reflecting on what God did to Saul because when Saul went away from God, God removed his Holy Spirit from Saul and instead sent an evil spirit to torment him. And David was called to play the harp, to be there for Saul. So David says, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And he says here, I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not. The Bible says in Hebrews, I will never leave you. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What a blessing that is. Just a few more cross-references here before we wrap up. I want to look at Psalm 25, 8-10. Psalm 25, 8-10. The Lord is honest and good. He teaches sinners to walk in His ways. He shows those who are proud how to do what is right. He teaches in His ways. All of the Lord's ways are loving and faithful for those who obey what His covenant commands. So in this passage we see... Um, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Isn't it interesting that God not only provides heaven, but he provides the way to get to heaven, because there's no way you or I could measure up to it. It's reminiscent of the Old Testament covenant that God made with Abraham. Abram, uh, I think he was so Abram at that point, but he cuts the the bull or the the calf or whatever it was he cuts it in half and then he God puts him to sleep and walks through it and he seals the covenant with Abraham because not only was God the covenant maker he was the covenant keeper because Abram wasn't capable of keeping the covenant the psalmist says here in Psalm 119 I will keep thy commandments, oh, forsake me not utterly. Is he able to keep his commandments by himself? No. But if God doesn't forsake him, then he can by the power of God. We can only have success in the Christian life when we realize that success apart from Jesus is futile. Let's look at Psalm 71, 18. Psalm 71, 18. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to the new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. This is so important. A multi-generational legacy is so important. If you look at the book of Judges, What does it say in the first chapter? It says, As long as Joshua lived, and as long as the elders that served with Joshua lived, the people served God. Which makes me believe they weren't really serving God, they were just serving the people that were serving God. But the point is, 
the people were at least had their eyes somewhat on God when these people were alive. But then it says these horrible words. There arose a generation that knew not God, neither the works that God had done for the people of Israel. And one of the reasons that I started speaking for him was because I read that verse and I internalized it and I said, not on my watch. It is so easy for a generation to forget God. We are in a place right now, folks, where there are people naming the name of Christ who say that the moral standards of the Bible are outdated and old-fashioned. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't say, well, that's old-fashioned today. Well, men and, women role, men and women's roles in the Scriptures, they don't matter today. No, they do matter because each sex is a divine expression of God's creativity. If He made you a man, He did it for a purpose because He wanted you to manifest His glory as a man and to be grateful for that fact. If He made you a woman, He made you a woman to manifest His glory as a woman and to show that part of His divine creativity. Please do not miss this. That's what it means to live a victorious Christian life. To realize the role that God put you in and to do it with all your heart. The Bible says God made them male and female. He did it for a purpose. And His ways are always good. We would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. And that is from Harry Ironside. If you look at Romans chapter 1, we see that the progression of forgetting God and going against God and being debased in the flesh, it starts with forgetting God and not being thankful. That's where it starts. The psalmist said, I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. Do you have a heart of thanksgiving? I know it's hard. I wake up every day with physical struggles and pain. And sometimes I would just much rather check out of life. But I know that God has a plan. And so that's what gets me out of bed every morning. When Shane asked me to speak again this week, I got really excited. Because nothing gets me more excited than preaching the Word of God. like the psalmist who says oh how I love thy law now can I 100% echo his next line it is my meditation all the day no because I'm a I'm a fallible human being but I can tell you that I love the word of God because that's where life is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, if you have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, nothing I've said today matters because you cannot live the life that we're talking about unless you embrace the Lord Jesus. Because the Bible says that when we receive the Lord Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 1, we are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Why are we sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus, when He was on the earth, He told His disciples, I go away and you will see Me no more, but I will not leave you comfortless, but will send My Spirit upon you who will guide you into all truth. And He did as 
He promised because He is a promise keeper. And He says He's coming again because He is a promise keeper. This same Jesus which you have seen go into heaven shall in like manner come again. The question is, will we be ready? My prayer for you is that you will. I would love to talk to any one of you further about my testimony after the meeting. But I just hope that you were challenged and encouraged to follow hard after Jesus and to do these three things that we talked about. First, seek Him with your whole heart. Second, keep His precepts. And third, praise Him for His righteous judgment. That is the key to a successful life. It's not about manifestation. It's not about dream boards. It's about following the Lord Jesus with your whole heart. And there will be costs. We are living in a time when this country even is more and more adversarial to the things of the Lord Jesus. I could not believe the vitriol that came forth when the Roe versus Wade decision fell. I could not believe how many people were upset that there would be limitations to how many babies could die in this country. It grieved my heart, but it shows me where we are as a country. If we do not value the most innocent among us, how can we be a moral and upstanding country? We can't. Simple fact. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is indeed a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we think about that illustration of the little boy delivering a message for his father and we think about how you don't light the whole way for us. You just light a little way and you say, take this step. And then you say the next step and then the next step. So we pray that we would take those steps with you. We pray that we would not run ahead of you. We pray that we would not hang behind you, but that we would be beside you. And Lord, if there be anyone here that has not started on the journey, I pray that today would be the start. Paul said, today is the day of salvation. You said, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I pray for that today. In the name of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.